Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We'll use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the best source of recruiting information on the go. Fresh off a trip to Omaha as a member of the Mississippi State coaching staff, we're excited to welcome Mike Brown to the podcast. Brownie's been a part of successful programs at every turn of his career, both as a player and coach. As a standout for Cuesta Community College and the University of Kentucky, Brownie moved into the coaching ranks where he's been on the staff at Kentucky, New Mexico State, Mississippi State, and he'll soon take over running the offense for the University of Hawaii. Having coached with some of the college game's best coaches, there's no doubt that he'll one day be at the helm of his own program. Brownie, thanks for joining us to talk shop today, man. Be happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. First off, congratulations on the great year at, at State and big things ahead. Now, you don't have to go back as far as uh, beating me in the Little League Championship game or anything like that, but why don't you uh, just start off by giving us your story in baseball, how you got the opportunity to play and coach at uh you know, some of your different stops. Yeah, it's funny, man, because that literally, again, you guys kind of walked into the best assembled team ever, Eric Laram and Chris Williams. <laughs> I think we won eight to two, it's, it's, and you probably do too, man, but I remember that like it was really recent. Dude, I think I was two for three with a homer and a double. Just an absolute laser over the left field fence. If I remember yeah, that. it was yeah. fun. It was fun. Um, but, dude, I um, – man, so so basically I was just, just like everybody else in terms of a player. I, I went to Cal Poly out of high school. Um, at the time, Richie Price was the head coach. When I committed, uh, Jerry Weinstein was, was essentially recruited me and, and was the, my point of contact. And, um, Richie Price left mm-hmm. in the summer. I went to Poly, redshirted. Larry Lee became the head coach, who was previously the head coach at Cuesta College, um, who Larry is, was an awesome coach. I really loved playing for him and, and being around him and learning from him, but he, he kind of had the idea or the vision of, Opening it up to be a revolving door at Cuesta, you go to Cuesta to play ball and you still maintain classes and enrollment at Cal Poly. So I did that for a year, put up some numbers that I don't think I was expecting or anyone was expecting. So I went back to Poly, ended up at Kentucky. Um, Gary Henderson recruited me. John Cohen was the head coach, went there for two years, played, didn't play much my junior year, had a good senior year, and then um, stayed on staff as a student assistant. Uh, and then got out of the game. Actually, I wasn't ready to coach. I was I was a little bit blinded by professional baseball and, and the frustrations of not playing. Um, you know, seeing all my friends and, and my teammates get drafted, and, and I was just immature and, and, and couldn't right. couldn't handle it emotionally yet. So I moved up to Washington D.C. with my wife, stayed up there for three or four years, and and uh, got back into the coaching world and the youth realm. Um, coached in 18 and under travel ball was, was coaching 10 year olds and, and youth rec leagues and, and basically the whole, you know, spectrum of, of amateur baseball and, and realized I needed to be in college and, and got, got an opportunity called coach Henderson, who is now the head coach of Kentucky and just said, Hey man, I need to be somewhere where the, you know, the kids aren't paying to play and it's not just a, you know, a little bit more focused and, and kind of what I was brought up on. And, 
and he brought me back in as a right. GA and, and, um, you know, just decided that's what I wanted to do. My wife was supportive and, um, you know, kind of dove in and, and, you know, got an opportunity with an assistant who was at Kentucky, got a head job in New Mexico state, went with him and, um, for two years. And then John Cohen calls me to, to, uh, to work at Mississippi state as, as he is on the way out, as a matter of fact, which didn't know at the time, but he hired me in 16, he becomes the AD. And then I was there for, um, for Andy Canizero for a year and, and some change. And, and then he took off and, and um, you know, obviously ended up in Omaha. What an incredible year you guys had last year, obviously with the coaching change and overcoming a, a ton of obstacles, that's well documented. What do you think it took to overcome that adversity and, and then overcoming all those obstacles that you guys yeah, faced? Man, I mean, it was, it was every cliche in the book. I, I think our kids displayed it, you know, but, but it, this last year was so unique and interesting because I think it's the first time it's ever happened. I, I mean, you know, just yeah. talking to my friends and people in the in the industry in the game. I mean, have you ever been around a situation where the head coach is fired after the first week? And, and, and the answer yeah. is usually no. And, and that's all good and fine. But so I, I don't think there's a script for it. I, I don't think, you know, I think it's really hard to compare the adversity we face to other adversity, you know, an injury here or, you know, and an academically ineligible there. Um, but man, I just think our kids bought in. And, and I think for us as a coaching staff, it was so rare because, you know, without getting into too much detail, we, we were handcuffed essentially. And I, I don't mean that as a coaching staff, just in general with all this drama and all these, the media and, and the rumors and, and the right. deceit, if you will. Um, again, not to, not to talk bad about it. It just was what it was. So we were in a spot where it was the coaching took a back seat, you know, and, and it was just getting to the day and, and hoping that the next day would be better. And then once the, once the decision came down from the top, it was it was a very OK, guys, we got two options, man. We can we can sort of, you know, just lay in the in the filth and the drama and the, and the, and the nastiness or we can play baseball, man, and enjoy it and, and get after it and learn and teach. And, yeah, we're going to teach about talk about approach and we're late to the party, but we still can talk about approach, you know, and we can still get into it and then we right. can still execute it. So I, I think first and foremost, man, our guys were pumped to learn and, and pumped to get better, which I think translates to the same as buying in, you know, and, and ideally as a, as a coach, you get your kids to buy in in the fall. And, and that's kind of the time you, you lay the foundation of trust and, and all that, but we didn't have the opportunity. So we did that in February. Um, it, you know, it, it, it ended up working late, but you know, we, we, the adversity wasn't, a new coach and then boom, we're over it. You know, we struggled, we struggled offensively. We, we, we battled early on in the season and didn't get big hits. And, and, um, you know, our kids just maintained the positive, the outlook yeah. of, Hey, we're getting better. And, and yeah, we've had adversity, but you know what, we're still able to play baseball. And I, I think this, the game and, and the field specifically was, was kind of a haven for us, man. And it, it carried us. Yeah. And especially with that, that stage that you guys are on at one of the, the nation's elite programs where, you know, if if you've been to Mississippi, you know that people eat, <laughs> sleep, and dream about state baseball. People so, care, man. Um, that, yeah, you're exactly right, and that which means you know it's a huge positive, but it also means they're talking about it and and they're curious about what's right. going on. So, yeah, so you've had some time to kind of digest that run. What would you say stands out about the skills and the some of the character traits of those players on that Omaha team? How has seen that? and what it takes to get to Omaha firsthand kind of influence what you're going to look for in recruits moving yeah, forward? Yeah, great question. And I think this year is, has 
really solidified kind of my beliefs and, and, you know, as a younger coach and as a young coach aspiring to, to get better, it's, I'm a very optimistic and I try to bring some positivity to the yard. And, and above all, I try to be the same guy every day, um, which is the challenge. You know, I think it's easier said than done, but being that guy day in and day out and, and February 16th to, to June 2nd, being the same guy is, is hard. And I think our kids displayed that on a really, high level you know it was it was it when we lost man there was there was they were pissed and frustrated but we learned from it and, and it was like when you get back to the yard the next night it, it never happened you know and I think that's so like I said so much easier said than done and, and I think that's always a goal and that's what's talked about and, and that's what kind of differentiates the coach and the player the coach isn't going over 12 you know the player is and the player has to deal with that emotionally and, and as a coach you remember what that's like um, but our guys right. never displayed it, man. And it, it was from the last strike in, in Tallahassee when McNamee is, is walking around the clubhouse in the rain delay saying, he, get him up. He's going to hit a homer. I mean, literally saying that and did it, um, you know, yeah, it was amazing. And so I just, I just think one of the, one of the things that I took away and I wrote it down here is, is we learned from the previous negative stuff and it didn't, it didn't influence the next pitch, you know, and again, it's so cliche and it's, it's so coach speak, but, if you can do it and achieve it, man, your day is so much more enjoyable. And, and um, you know, you, you usually reap the benefits because not, not many players play baseball pissed off. And, and when they're thinking about the previous pitch or situation or, or failure, man, it doesn't help. You know, I wish it did, um, but it doesn't. And yeah. I think our guys really proved that, man. And, and it was Mangum's 0 for 5 on Friday and he's showing up to the yard bouncing around like he was 5 for 5. And I think that's really hard to achieve. And, and they did that every day. So when you're – when you're going to a high school game or you're following a player of interest, looking to recruit him to your program, how are you going to, this might be a little bit of a difficult question, but how are you going to try and evaluate yeah. that? How are you going to, do you want to see a kid at his high and his low or, or how are you? What's That's that a great question. Like? And I think so much of that is, is figured out in, um, you know, in, in the relationship building process or the communication process in, in terms of conversation. Um, you know, and it's hard to, it's hard to uncover for sure watching, <laughs> you know, but I also think, man, you can see a kid who hits a bullet and gets out. You can see how he reacts. You can see a kid, um, you know, roll over and, and get himself out, so to speak, and, and kind of see how he reacts. So I think that there's always opportunity yeah. to evaluate the emotional aspect. But, man, I just think so much of that is in personality, you know, and, and talking to a kid after a big loss or talking to a kid after a big win and, and um, you know, seeing how he seeing how he interacts with his family. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of times right. where the, the parents will kind of foreshadow, hey, you know, this kid doesn't get too emotional over anything, you know. Um, and, and I think that's that, that that can play into how he is as a player, obviously not every time, but um, you know, to answer your question, yeah, I think you, you figure that out by getting to know them, you know, and, and in, in, rec in the recruiting world, sometimes you got to take a leap of faith. And, you know, if you have an instinctual feeling of, hey, man, this kid's a grinder and this kid's going to bring be able to bring it um, in, in a positive way on a daily basis, then I think you go for it. That mentality is huge. And let's stick with recruiting here. And you started to get into it a little bit, but if you could build your ideal recruit almost like it was a video game where would you start is that mentality the most important thing and then kind of where would you go from yeah there? you know I, I think it's I think that's it, it's always tough to say because the mentality is crucial but the, the ability is is paramount you know what I mean I mean the mentality you don't even yeah. evaluate the mentality if the ability is not there um so if I I would say if I could drop a, a player at the college level and, and again 
you know, assuming the, the ability and the baseball stuff is there, I would say specifically is the ability to, to defend. You know, I think that gets overlooked so much. And, um, you know, I think the Florida Gators are a great example. And, and you know, UCLA a couple of years back, you're going to win with pitching and defense. Um, and you're going to get guys that hit 220, but but they can also get a big hit when it matters. And, um, you know, I think first and foremost is, is ability to defend. If you can defend, you're going to play, uh, whether it be in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning only. But, you, you know, you're going to give yourself a chance to play. And then personally right. for me, I mean, I think speed is is so crucial. Um, you know, I think a lot of guys would answer, hey, man, hit, ability to hit for power, which is great. Yeah. You know, I think home runs and doubles and all that are, are awesome. But, man, you're going to need to run and you're going to need to be able to go first and third. And, and when there's a guy on the mound, and, and especially in the Southeastern Conference, you know, when you're facing Blaine Knight and he's got his stuff working and you're going to get four hits and, and six base runners and you got to score a run. You know, um, I think speed yeah. never, never goes away. And I think speed can get you on the field. And, um, you know, I think offensively, you know, if you're fast, you can, the margin for error on the offensive side is huge because you can put it in the ground and run, um, which people lose sight of how many guys do that at a high level in college. Um, yeah. but man, I just think athletic and, and, you know, be able to move. And, and at our level, man, we want shortstops to play every position on the field. You know, if you're a high school shortstop, don't be surprised if you're playing first base or, or right field. You know, but those are the type of kids right. that I think, you know, day in and day out can can give you the best chance to win. Yeah, just similar idea. I remember sitting in the office at Cal and Coach Esker was talking to a recruit whose parents were asking about where he's going to play as a freshman. And Coach Esker said, look, we, we've got a guy named Tony Renda who ended up being a second round draft pick, has made it to the big leagues. He's in AAA right now, just absolutely murdering the ball, you know. And and when he was a freshman, he played all over the field. Uh, and sometimes as a freshman, it's just about finding a place to play with all those older guys and fitting into that roster. And um, you know, your answer kind of goes against the grain because I think there's a lot of people that look for that hit tool, but it's a it's a great lesson for recruits out there to understand that there's a lot of different college coaches out there that are looking for a lot of different things. And that's really important for them to understand that there's going to be a coach out there that values the type of player that they are. Yeah. And, and the hit tool is great until, like I said, you're, you're facing a real guy and, and your, your middle infielder botching out, you know, in the fourth and right. fifth and all of a sudden you got a different ball game. Why don't you um, walk us through kind of how you evaluate player when you sit down to watch them at a baseball yeah, game? Yeah, I think, um, again, I, I think so much of it, like what we were talking about, the challenge of, of getting to really dive into that mentality and, and learning, you know, who that kid is emotionally. Um, I, I think interactions with the teammates is huge. I think just kind of when I sit down to watch a guy, man, I'm watching him in and out of the dugout. I'm watching him get on and off the field. Um you know, and this might be the West Coast in me, and I know we'll talk about that later, but I'm, I'm watching him when there's two outs and his team's on offense and, and he's not up for five or six hitters. You know, is he getting locked in to play mm -hmm. defense? Um, and then, again, and I think it goes without saying, but I'm, I'm watching the actions and I'm watching his body move and, and I'm watching him down the line. And can he run? Can he throw accurately? Can he feel the routine ground ball? And, and um, you know, if the baseball skills check out, you know, then it, then it really dive into, Hey, how's the interactions with the coach? How's he, how's he handling the, the OO fastball that's at his face called for a strike? Um, you know, just, just the little things in terms of, you know, the mom and dad maybe not be watching, but 
you know, how, on a Saturday in, in Columbia, South Carolina, what's going to happen when there's 10,000 people watching this, this ball that's called a strike? You know, if you can't do it in Lake right. Point when there's 50 people watching all family, it's, it's going to be challenging to, for him to adapt to the, to the bigger stage. Yeah. So you're, so you're looking at everything. No question, man. No doubt. And again, I, you know, to, and we can break it down or dive in more, obviously, but I just think once the skills check out, you know, and, and I think at our level, the Mississippi State level, man, you're, 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 you're recruiting the best players in the country, you know, so you're looking at these kids who are East Coast pro guys who are Under Armour All Americans and at the PG National, and, and you're looking at these kids that are on the largest stages. So, you know, so now it becomes so much more focused on, is he a good kid? How's the makeup? Is he a winner? Does he, does he care about competing? And, um, those are the things I think he can try to uncover when he's communicating with his, with his teammates and, and, um, you know, the coaches and the umpires and everybody else. So is that different from, from when you were at a smaller school? like New Mexico State. Much different. Does that, does that approach change? Yeah, I mean, I think you're still absolutely looking for the, the, the right player. Um, but at New Mexico State, there was a lot of times where you're, you're going in almost blind. I mean, and not blind in the sense of you've got your list and, and you've got your, your, your highlighted guys that coaches have reached out to you about and, and um, communicated with about. But, you know what I mean, you haven't seen them on TV and, and you haven't seen them at the, you know, the, the six main huge events. Um, right. you know, and I guess also at, at the same time, the kids that you're watching at New Mexico state aren't getting invited to the PG national, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a factor, but absolutely. Yeah. But I, I do think at the same time, you know, you're looking for the same ball player. Absolutely. You're looking for a kid who, who wants to play and who likes his teammates and, and who shows up with the same mentality every day. And, um, it's just a, a different scale in terms of, you know, skills. Yeah. Skill set yeah. and, and shoot, you know, the, the PG national under armor games or whatever on tv you're watching it at your house <laughs> you know what i mean so it's right. a little different uh aura behind the guys so skill set you're obviously not looking for quite the same thing but you still want all those intangibles to be there no doubt no doubt and and the, and the beautiful thing about baseball and, and recruiting is you find those guys man i mean you find them and, yeah. and you, you know the kid noah hop for example who's a left-handed hitter out of fresno who's with new mexico state now is he could be on any southeastern conference team in the country you know he just happens mm-hmm. to grow up in clovis and you know, the, the other schools have enough talent pool around them where they don't have to really dive into that. Are there any deal breakers for you? Something where if you see a kid do something or you you find something out about a kid, you drop them right there on the spot as a recruit? Yeah, you know, and and I think that, you know, I think kids nowadays are, are trained really well on if you don't hustle down the line, you can be scratched off the list. You know, every, every camp or clinic I've been to, I think that's been brought up. Um but yeah, I, I just think the interactions, you know, if you're just evaluating blindly watching them play, I think lack of hustle is huge, you know, because if you can't get up mm-hmm. for a, a Saturday Don Mattingly World Series game in Phoenix, you know, it's 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 kind of hard to get up for a Tuesday inter squad in, in Starkville in 50 degree weather. You know what I mean? Um, right. But man, when you get them and you get to know them, I think a huge red flag is, is uh, how they communicate and, and talk with their parents. You know, I've. I've been on recruiting trips with kids and, and they've, you know, told their parents to shut up or, or they've just really been inappropriate and, and, you know, pretty blatantly rude to mom or dad. And, and that's a huge turnoff, you know, yeah. um, uh, uh, you know, on the field though, like I said, I think hustle is big for me personally. If a kid starts to argue with an umpire, it's, it's not an automatic cross off, but I think if he carries that into the next inning, 
Um, you know, and it gets kind of vengeful and, and a little mean spirited. I think that can, you can whack a kid off the list pretty quick with that. Just, you know, anger and, um, but, but, uh, you know, I think that those are just two things that are easy to see too. You know what I mean? I think right. if you're watching a kid blow up on an umpire, man, it doesn't look good. If you watch a kid hit a pop up and chuck his bat and dog it to first, I think, you know, it doesn't look good either. Um, yeah. but in, in all reality, and, and this may not be what you want to hear, I think if a kid is a really, really, really good player, I think his leash is longer, you know, especially yeah. when yeah, you're definitely. evaluating in, an, in a deal where if you see him three times, you, you know, you, you, you know him really well in our world, which is unfair for the kid, but it is what it is. And, and kid get, coaches are making decisions based on seeing the kid play once. And, you know, if the kid's got real skill set and, and he's a good kid on the phone and you like him as a kid, I, I think the, the leash is, um, you know, human nature naturally, and, and maybe it's not right, but it's it's definitely a longer leash, and, and you're willing to handle a little less hustle. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, let's face it, that's the reality, right? And so it's important that recruits know that it's not equal, it's not fair. Some guys have more skills, yeah. you know, more natural ability, and they're going to have a longer leash, and coaches are going to give them a little extra look, um, yeah. and kids yeah. need to know that. So, you know, you can't spend time looking around at what other people are doing you really just got to focus on, you know, what's going to, what is your skill set and what's going to help you get to the next level. So I right. think that's a great point. And I think too, man, I think the kids that have the good skill sets, I think they can differentiate themselves by, you know, hustling every play like it's your last play, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. Let's stick with mistakes. What, what do you see as kind of the biggest mistake? that recruits make what do you see out there a lot well i think and i have this conversation all the times with recruits man and it's one of those deals where it's so much easier said than done but i i you can see when a kid doesn't enjoy playing and, and to mm -hmm. me and i should have said that earlier man and, and it kind of goes with the stuff we, stuff we talked about but once you lose the enjoyment for the game as, as a 16 year old it's just going to be a really really challenging road you know yeah. Um, and everybody has good days and bad. And, and sometimes recruiters see guys on bad days and that's all good and fine, but you can genuinely, and then that's where the intuition of the recruiter comes into play in terms of, Hey man, is this kid having a bad day or does he not want to be here? You know? And, and I think for me, if I see a kid who doesn't look like he's enjoying it and, and kind of wants the game to end, that's probably the biggest red flag. Um, yeah. just because if, if, you know, as, as a guy, as an offensive minded guy, and it's the same goes for pitching, obviously, but you're working with a kid on his swing and it's specific and it's work and it's, you know, after hours type of type of a deal or an adjustment. And he doesn't love what he's doing, man. It's it's not going to work, you know, and it's going to be frustrating and it's going to be it's going to be a, a bad ending. Um, you know, I would say my experience is statistics say pretty, pretty blatantly a bad ending. But you know what I'm saying? So so if he doesn't enjoy yeah. it, I think that's one thing that that really shortens the the leash so to speak how about parents what you know a lot is said about parents and their role in the recruiting process what type of involvement do you want the to have the parents yeah you know, what kind of role do you want to see them in 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 a recruiting process great question i think parents need to be supportive i, I think before that they need to be educated i think most mm -hmm. of the you know most of the issues if you want to call them that 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 coaches have with parents is they're just uneducated and you know one topic or one question can kind of spin out and stress them out and, and all of a sudden now it's it becomes you know there's a little animosity between the, the coach and the parent and I just think parents need to be parents and I think they need to be supportive and I think they need to be realistic if, if at any time a parent is, is projecting their son 
um, and, and, hey, he should be able to do this or he should be able to do that baseball-related, I think that's kind of out of line, you know. And, and I think the, the, the toughest part is – and we hear, we do – this happens all the time where you love the kid but you don't love the parents, you know, and, and you're, you're mm-hmm. either excited to get them away from the parents, um, you know, or quite frankly you don't even want the kid anymore because the parents are so overbearing and, and, and so unrealistic. Um, so I think it's the most beneficial for the kid, for the parents to kind of stay out, you know, and, and let the kid, you know, do his deal and let the kid ask the questions and, and the parents are there to be supportive and in the know and educated. Um, and I think that takes communication. You know, I think the parent and the coach need to talk and, and, and have conversations, but, um, I think it's just to gather information and to be supportive, you know, whatever that means in the relationship. That's what it's got to be, um, because un- help help out behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, help out, by, and you don't have to stay behind the scenes or, or anything like that. But there's so many times where the, the parent loses sight of of really what's going on. You know, I mean, we're we're as coaches, we're in this deal to get the player better. The player improves as a player and as a person, which in turn improves the team. Um, you know, a better team equates to more wins, which is the overall goal. And I think they lose sight of that because they're parent, you know, and I'm a parent as well. And Ethan, so are you and you understand it now better than we did years ago. But it, you got to keep in sight the, the overall process, which is what we try to get the kids to do, you know. And, and now we're trying to t- convince the kid to, to buy into a team concept and, and the parents are, are shopping the kid or, or explaining to the recruiter how good the kid is. And he hits 600 and, and, and all the rest that parents naturally do. Um, there's no value in terms of, like we said, uh, achieving the overall end game is winning, you know, and, and developing that kid as a player and a parent. It's irrelevant about his previous stuff. And baseball is such a humbling game where what it's what what have you done for me lately? And, if you know, if you hit in high school, that's awesome. But now we got to hit in the fall and your freshman year of college. And then hopefully you get some at bats in the spring and you know what I mean? So on and so forth. And I think the parents lose yeah. sight of that. And you know, naturally that rubs off on a kid. And when I, when we're dealing with, with parents that are supportive and, and involved, but realistic and, and, um, you know, in the know and educated, it's just so much easier for that kid to have success in terms of he's realistic. Hey, nothing's going to be handed to me. I got to show up and get enrolled in classes before I can hit in the four hole and play shortstop, you know, against the LSU Tigers. Right. Um, so yeah. What, um, Kind of going back to the players, because I'm guessing that you wouldn't want parents being the ones to reach out. But how? What's the best way for a player to reach out to a college coach or to reach out to you with interest? Yeah, I, so I think I think on the phone, you know, and 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 I think that the hard thing about that is just like in business, and I think in life that there there needs to be, or or it, it'll maximize it if there's a mutual contact, and if your coach can call me and say, hey, you know, I got a guy, Johnny, who's a real player. He's an awesome kid. He's interested in your school. You know, can you talk to him? And usually mm-hmm. in my, for me, in that situation where it's kind of a blind guy and, and you know, again, it, it's all skewed based on where you're at university-wise. But for us, it's okay, hey, man, we're going to come out and see you. You know, because the guys on our list or on the board are, are generally guys that we know about generally guys that that every school in the league knows about and, and they're top three or four round draft pick type of guys. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I don't mean, I hate to, that sounds arrogant and, and it, whatever, but it is what it is. And so when we get a kid that, that, that we get called on, which we sign kids like that all the time. And, and, you know, I'm not saying the only kids that come to 
Mississippi State or SEC schools are, are top five round picks. But, um, you know, we go watch him and we kind of see how he is. And, and just with the word of his coach, now all of a sudden we have an in. And I think the smartest play is have the kid text the coach, hey, I'm going to call you in 10 minutes and then call him. And, you know, yeah. be yourself and talk and, and you know, the, let the coach kind of take it from there, whatever his process is in, in, uh, in terms of getting to know the kid. So you're not a big email guy then? Well, you know, a blind email, Ethan? No, I'm not. Um, you know, I, I think even at New Mexico State, I feel like we didn't uh, we did not recruit on email very well. You know, and I, and I don't know if that's a negative or a positive. But for us, mm-hmm. it, it was it was relationships. You know, what coaches are reaching out on what kids. Um, if we don't get if if we don't hear from coaches, then we reach out to coaches and say, Hey, what do you got? Who do we need to see? Um, and then right. we're just watching games. But I, but I think that the email system is challenging because um, so many times you get numb to it. There's so many blind emails from all these publications, and and you just kind of start to thumb through them. I would say if you do email. Make it personal. Email from your own account. Right. Don't, you know, make sure the coach's name is accurate and just no, no spam emails. No spam emails. Exactly. Um, make it make it accurate. Be short to the point. You know, hey, I want to play in front of you because what happens is, is nobody's, you know, and I know the kids are educated on this well enough. And I've seen you guys put this out, actually. But, you know, the batting average and stuff is great and the home run numbers are great, but we don't know what league you're playing in. So it becomes a little bit nullified you know um, yeah it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter that's not gonna that's not gonna help you hit college level pitches. yeah you know and, and, and so i think video is important i think anytime we, we get an email with somebody we know or, or we're familiar with uh boom we look at the video and if the video is clean then we're going to go out and see you um yeah. you know so i would say just a quick blurb about yourself and then send some video and, and you know follow that up with the schedule i think the schedule is a nice follow-up piece and, and kind of a nice double you know uh, double communication whatever yeah. <laughs> so so i think the schedule yeah. can always be a follow-up and hey man i'm going to send you my schedule come come watch yeah so kind of looking back at both i guess both new mexico state and mississippi state how do you usually find players i mean mississippi state you have a good idea because you're you're recruiting the top you know, the top players in the country, like you said, and everyone kind of knows who those are. So, you know, how, I mean, are, are players reaching out to you? Are you hearing about them? How are you finding your players? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination of everything. And I think the recruiting guy who knows the most travel organizations kind of reigns king, you know what I mean? And, and he's getting those players and those coaches from the Indiana Bulls or, or from CBA or from wherever they're reaching out to you before anybody else because you guys have that relationship. So I think that held really true in New Mexico State and Mississippi State. You're always trying to increase your, your network of coaches and um, listen to what they have to say because they're with them every day. So they can give you that angle of how this kid is when he's 0 for 20 or, or whatever, like we talked about before. Um, but then again, too, yeah, I think you're going out and watching games. You know, I know, I know in Las Cruces you're going down to Phoenix and I know in Starkville you're going down to Atlanta. Um, and you're watching games, and I think that the, the same whole, which I'm sure you've heard before, but you go watch player A and player B jumps out, you know. And for me as a player, that happened multiple times. Guys are coming to watch Chase McElroy, left-handed pitcher who you remember in, in high school, and, and they're seeing me play, yep. you know. And it was kind of a cool opportunity for me because 
you know, there's always people in the stands, and regardless of who they're there to watch, man, baseball is baseball, and if you show out, you're going to show out. So, um, you know, yeah. I think that that on-the-field evaluation, the note-taking, the following up, the communication with coaches, um, and in this industry, as you know, man, you become friends with these guys, and now it's just a call away. And the closer you are to that coach, the the, the more accurate the eval is. And all of a sudden, you can really get yes or no because this guy knows them on a different level right and is that primarily travel ball coaches or do you do the same thing same with same coaches? thing with high school you know and I, and I think mississippi was really cool because that the high school piece was was um, a little bit more i don't know a little bit more around and a little bit more present than in new mexico and, and then kind of the phoenix area and then the um, you know, mm-hmm. really the New Mexico local area, but, but yeah, I think ideally you want to get the high school coach cause that kid, that coach is with them even more, you know, a lot more than the travel coach and, and that, and that right. coach probably knows the family and, you know, and, and a lot of our situations, you know, as it, as it unfolds is they, they know the brother, they know the sister, the mom went to high school there and you, you get a really more in-depth, um, thorough evaluation of the family. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there's just one more major recruiting question that I wanted to ask you about and that's you know if there's a ninth grader out there or someone who's just starting their recruiting process who's listening to this podcast and they really want to play college baseball what's your what's your best piece of advice on how they can make it to the next yeah, level good question man I, I think and I think it's it's a very basic answer Ethan but it, it's just enjoy the game um, you know, so many kids and, and once you see them play and, and, and you evaluate them and you start to get to know them, you start to, you start to either A, know that they love it and know that they want to do it at a high level or B, you, you start to, you start to feel their stresses and concerns and then you can naturally or e- easily tell that the, the enjoyment isn't there, you know, so I think the enjoyment has to be there. And I think big time is where you're at, which is an awesome saying that I learned from, from Trotsky baseball is a California travel ball guy and division one, division two, division three, NAI, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I think when you start to think in those lines of, I got to play D one or D two, you know, whatever, I think you lose the enjoyment of the game, you know, and, and so many kids, when you're watching these games of hundred games in a day on five fields, man, you can just, you know, you take one look at a kid and Hey, this kid looks miserable. (laughs) You know, yeah. and I think that that is the, the hardest part about baseball is always enjoying it. And you don't have to always love it by any means. But when you're out there playing, man, and, and you're showcasing your skills and the reason you play travel ball is so you can get the opportunity at the next level, which is what every kid will tell you. Um, enjoy it, man, and make it fun. And if you get out, who cares? If you make an error, who cares? And, and just keep getting after it because recruiters notice it. And recruiters also understand that you're going to get out. You're going to make errors. You're going to throw balls. You know, you're, you're going to have lapses of concentration. Um, what are you going to do next? And are you going to enjoy the process of it? Because if you can do that, you know, if you're playing at Montevallo and Birmingham is at a D2 or West Alabama or Mississippi State or LSU, you know, you're going to enjoy it because it's the same game you enjoyed at 15, you know, and, and never forget that. And, for me as a coach, I always try to remember that same thing. And, and hey, man, enjoy the process. We lost 10 nothing today. You got two hit. But you know what? You, you could have been working at a bank and, and you could have been unemployed. You know, so never, yeah. never forget about baseball and why you do it, you, why you play it or why you coach it, because it's fun. You know, and, and the more you can, the more fun you can have, usually the, the better the day is. Yeah, love that, man. 
about being passionate yeah. and enjoying the game. You know, good energy. Yeah, and 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 the the frustration, and this goes back to your first question, man. The frustration doesn't make you play better, you know. And and I wish it did, but you know, if you lose a game, you lose a game, and that's why you play fifty six of them. And and shoot, some of these kids are playing one hundred and six of them in the in a shorter summer season, and you know, yeah. and, and if you if you don't enjoy it, man, why do it? That's awesome, and probably a pretty good indication that why the guys at Mississippi State responded so well last year to you and the coaching staff, bringing that positive energy and that positive outlook every single day. But I want to transition to talking about some developmental stuff, and you're actually in the process of moving across the country. You'll be coaching at University of Hawaii next year, where you'll be running their offense. So, um, you know, for a high school kid, that's trying to make that transition to college, which in all honesty can be a rough transition at times. What are some of the things that they need to do so that they're prepared to play at the college level as soon as they set foot on campus? I think this kind of can piggyback on the previous question, man, is is they need to enjoy their senior year of high school, you know, and they need to play it and they need to fully be present um, in that season and whether they're lifting at 6 a.m. And, and doing individuals on the off days or whatever they're doing, I feel like they need to, to really embrace it and, and do it because the, the more focused and concentrated and quality that, that job they do is, the easier it's going to be in college because the, the, the biggest challenge I see his guys aren't present, you know, and, and I think you can take that into different ways, but you know, they, they want to be home for the weekend with their girlfriend or, you know, they, they're, they're late for class because they're dilly dallying around the dorm and, and they're just not fully invested and present in, in that day, you know? And I, and I think it's, it's something yeah. that's, that's, you're going to need to, there's an adjustment period and you can't walk into it and crush it, you know, every single day because it's new. But I think the easiest thing you can do is, is get ready for long days and, and start to make your days a little bit longer at the high school level. And, you know, if you don't lift on a regular basis, mix that in, you know, and incorporate that and, and, and try to elongate your days and stay on top of them, you know. Yeah. But, but other than that, I mean, I think it's a, it's a new deal and guys are moving across country and living in California and going to school in, in Vermont or whatever. And I just think, you know, human nature, man, it takes time to adjust. How about that weight room piece? I want to take more meat off the bone there. What can a high school player do to prepare for that college level intensity in the weight room? I mean, I've seen a number of programs at every level in the weight room, and it's obviously a big step up from high school. Is there anything that a kid can do to prepare? Yeah, you know, again, I think start to lift, you know, and I think that's a very you know, elementary answer, but, but so many kids say they lift and, and, and maybe they do here and there. But when I say start to lift, I mean, start to get into a routine. And if, if you don't have one, you know, from your high school coach or from your, your strength coach in high school or, or whatever, you know, seek one out and get on a program where you're lifting four days a week in the fall and, and really trying to maintain and lift three days a week, two to three in the spring and, and get your body accustomed to that routine. Because the kids will come in the way room, and, and and you 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 don't need to understand how important it is yet. I, 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 it would benefit you if you kids will naturally, man. They'll start to understand how how important the weight room is, and they'll start to want to get in there more because their bodies are responding in such a great way, you know. But yeah. to to kind of expedite the process or or beat it to the punch, so to speak, is is get in the weight room in high school, you know, and and start to understand that if this is what you want to do, a you're going to benefit from it now. And B, you're not going to be as behind when you get in there um, in the spring a lot or in the fall. A lot of our guys will go to summer school 
and start lifting, you know, prior to that fall semester. And, and now when they get into the fall semester, they're forced to, to understand, you know, the, the, the importance and the value of the weight room. So again, it's, I think it's a hard thing to, to get to when, before you show up, but get into a routine. If you're not already doing it, if you are, if you have a routine, then, then keep going, you know, and be open-minded to yeah. some new lifts. And um, hopefully the, the strength coach that you get in college will challenge you and, and teach you and, um, you know, but it's going to be a huge part of your game if you're going to play baseball for a long time. Yeah, love that. Now, I love this next question that I'm going to ask you. You're obviously a West Coast guy, having grown up in the same place as me in Davis, California, and then we've both spent considerable time on the East Coast. What are some of the major style and philosophical differences that you've seen between kind of that West Coast style of baseball and then having been out in the the SEC with the big bruisers and all that. Yeah, and I think you, you touched on it right there. I think in the SEC, you're more you're more in the business of one hit will score you a run. You know, whether that be a home run, whether that be a runner on first, I'm going to drive the gap and score them from first. Um, you know, and, and I think on the West Coast, you're more susceptible to short game. I think I think that really stems from the ability to be outside a lot more on the West Coast year-round. Um, you know, but, but I, it's always the same game and I, and I get into not arguments, but joking arguments about friend, with friends of mine about the, the SEC and, Hey, nobody bunts in the SEC and nobody, you know, and, it, and it's, that's it's inaccurate. You know, there's guys that can ram it out of yard. And I think when you do that, when you have those type of hitters, you, you don't bunt, you know, you're not going to give an out for, for 90 feet. Whereas, you know, maybe an offense in the pack 10 or happens to be on the West coast they may not have as many of those guys, but I mean, we're playing Washington and they got some bangers up and, and they got to run around second base with nobody out in the fifth or sixth. And they're not, bumped. you know what I mean? The, the big left-handers trying to right. run the gap. Um, you know, so I, I also think in my experience, I mean, at Cal Poly and, and Cuesta, we would have a bunch of different bunt situational plays, a lot of more skill work in terms of handling the bat and, and hit behind guys. And, um, you know, and, and I think again, it's the same concept uh, in the South it's not as prevalent, but I always use this argument. When I was a player at Kentucky, uh, we led the nation in bunting. I mean, I, I, we had three guys, myself, Anton DeJesus and Ryan Wilkes, who set the season single, the single season sack bunt record all in the same year. You know, wow. it was a record none of us wanted to have and we would joke around about it, but you know what I mean? So we bunted a lot and we won the league and we hit 300 as a team. And, and, you know, I, I think that was very contradictory or, or unorthodox Southeastern conference baseball play. Um, you know what I mean? So I think it's kind of funny, man. I think it's, it's a conversation and it's cool. And, and it's, it's, um, it's a real rivalry. I know a lot of people have labeled me as a West coast guy and Hey, you must, you know, bunt the first hitter of the game. Oh, Oh, you're bunting. And it's like, well, that's a little bit ridiculous, but um, you know, so I think it's more, it's a funny deal, Ethan. I, you know, I think it's, it's cool, but I would say the biggest difference, man, is, is the short game stuff. Yeah. And when you're playing a, a West coast team or, or even maybe a more of a mid-major club, you know, they're going to, they're going to show drag and try to steal behind you and then hit and run them over. And they're going to really frustrate you. That's interesting. I didn't know that about the sack bunch you also raked so you weren't a guy that they were trying to hide right what well, at the bottom of the line dude but you were hitting what 400 and anton <laughs> and it's a sneaky way to, to keep that average up but anton got we would we would drop one down and come in and point at the guy hey man now you're the record holder for sack months you know hold on to it tightly 
yeah. but you know, it worked, man. And I think, I think so much of it has to do with the arms. You know, when I start to think about running the offense, it's, you can't be black and white. I mean, if it's runners on first and second, in the second inning with a mediocre right-hander on the mound, are you button them over and giving them an out, you know, when all of a sudden you can ram the gap and, and score two on one swing. Meanwhile, if you're facing, you know, a Friday night starter in, in, in the SEC and, Hey, we're going to bunt them over here, man. And, you know, nobody's going to just opponents are hitting Oh, 95 off this kid. Yeah. You know, so I think that the game, obviously scoreboard has something to do with it. Yeah. And, and I think that's a good transition piece for kind of getting into a little bit more about your personal philosophies. And now that you're taking over running an offense, how you're going to develop your hitters throughout the course of the school year. What is, what does that framework look like for you? Yeah. So I think for me, um, I think before you can teach a hitter anything, man, I think you really got to know them and, and there has to be a foundation of trust. You know, I think it's just like anything else. If, if you don't believe the person is the person that's helping you is, is trying to achieve or obtain the same goal. I think it's, there's always going to be second guessing and it's just never going to really end in its, in its most valuable way. So I think first and foremost, yeah, I'm going to get to know these kids. I think you can really speed up that process through teaching approach. So, I mean, before any mechanical, and I'm not a huge mechanical guy, I think mechanics are important and, and you got to, there's some non-negotiables that every, every successful hitter gets into the same spots, but you know, it'll be approach. It'll be two strike approach. It, it'll be a batting practice style. It'll it'll be a identity of who we are as an offense. Um, and then after you know they're getting sixty, hopefully fifty, sixty, seventy at bats in inter squads. We got them on video, and then we can kind of attack the the uh, the mechanical side of it if need be. And even then, I think it's small tweaks. And you know th- that that my my vision for for kind of how it's the introductory phase is is get to know them, understand or or educate them on why I'm there and I'm there to get them better and I'm there to win games and, and we're there to have a good offense. But the definition of a good offense is who can score more runs than the other team. And, um, you know, once that is laid, you know, I, I'm hoping that the, the, the minute mechanical adjustments and teachings that that'll kind of take care of itself because they'll, they'll know that, Hey man, Brownie's on this with us. He, he wants to, he wants us to be successful and he's, he's trying to help, you know, you know, you talked about building trust and kind of getting to know guys. Do you have anything that you do early in the year to help you with that? Or is it just one of those things that takes time? Well, it, I think it takes time. And, and I really think, and I think you have a similar personality, man. I think if, if you can be the same guy on a daily basis and me by nature, man, I, I try to have good energy and, and I'm, a, I'm a positive, you know, optimistic person. And I, and I, fortunately for me, I don't have to really try it that. But I think that rubs off on him, you know, and, and I think that the coach who goes, you know, who, who is a little less energetic and maybe a little less optimistic and he's a vet and he's kind of a salty vet, I think that would take a little bit more time to get the players to buy into that personality. Um, obviously no knock on that personality. And then there's, I've had many coaches that I, that I love and learned a ton from with that mindset or that, you know, that, that approach. I just think for me and in, in, in answering your question, yeah, I think being myself and, and showing up to the ballpark eager and, and being always open for early work or after practice work and, um, you know, teaching a hitter without teaching the mechanics, I think that expedites the process of trust, you know, because yeah. the minute I know for me as a hitter, man, the minute a guy sees my swing and I don't know him and he's telling me about my elbow and, and hey, man, you're, you're, you're not working from the ground up. And I'm thinking, who are you, man? You know, and so yeah. I, I think I understand that. I know that. Um, I remember coaches coming up to me and, and trying to, 
pick my swing apart and they didn't know my swing, you know? And so I yeah. think that helps you. And I think, um, you know, and again, it's, it's one kid at a time. Everybody's different and everybody will have their own relationship or I'll have my own relationship with everybody on the team individually. And, and um, some kids will be easier than others. Yeah. Are you a big classroom guy? Do you do a lot of stuff away from the field, away from the batting cages? I do, you know, and I, and I think for me, and I'm ex- really excited because this will be my first time being able to decide how much classroom settings we want to have, you know, but I know in, in my yeah. teachings and my learnings from, from Brian Green and from Larry Lee and, and from John Cohen and, and from Jake Gotro and, you know, there, there will be classroom settings, you know, and I think the better job that I can do early on, the the less classroom meetings will have you know i I know for me i I think it's important to show them what i'm talking about and in terms of the mechanics which we won't have this conversation until probably the christmas break but you know hey man these are the positions that i think we need to get into this is our launch position this is where our hands need to be this is what our balance and our posture is going to look like you know here Mm -hmm. here's our slot here's the mechanical cues and, and the verbiage and the language that we'll be talking about you need to see it and then we'll pretty much move on from there um but yeah, I think approach is, is best talked about in the classroom for a couple minutes and then boom, executed. And I think you can do snippets and, and quick meetings pretty regularly until that foundation is laid for sure. That office door is always open. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one thing, man, which is hard to really articulate. But yeah, you know, some kids are going to get it. Some kids are going to really have a hard time, which I always laugh about and, and use this as an example. But some kids are going to really have a hard time swinging at an OO fastball down the middle. You know, and, and that's one yeah. thing as a hitting coach, we're going to try to get you to change that mindset. And, and, you know, if this is the type of player you are, hey, we're going to go. And, and when we see a fastball out over the middle of the plate, I'm going to swing at it. You know, and by, if I hit it, I hit it. If I don't, I don't. But I'm going to put myself in a position to hit it. Um, you know, and some guys get that and some guys literally don't. And it's kind of a it's a the example is, is a, you know, kind of a joke, but it's so black and white and so such a good window into how baseball players minds work you know for me as a hitter hey you want me to swing oo at a fastball yeah done you'll never have to remind me again um yeah and, and at the same time there's other guys that just don't it's hard for them to 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 adjust and, and obviously that it's a more of a analogy for other things as well but you know what i'm saying it's it's hey man these guys are different and that's okay and that's, in fact that's kind of yeah. the beauty of the whole thing yeah are you gonna have a lot of mental game stuff incorporated into your your offensive stuff and your defensive stuff. No question, man. And I think, I think that's another piece that proves to the guys that you're invested, you know, and, and I think you can practice that. I was listening to this deal the other day and it was the first time that I heard it, but they're talking about pre-pitch rhythm as an infielder and kind of your timing and a great way to, to enhance your timing or work on it is in BP when you're hitting. So you're mm-hmm. the on deck guy or the in the hole guy at the turtle and, your BP thrower is throwing. And as soon as you see any, any initial move from him, you're kind of into your legs. And as the ball gets released or right by his head, your, your left foot's coming. You know what I mean? And it was like, wow, that's a really good way to, to, to mentally put yourself in a situation um, to have success. And I think when you start to throw things at him like that and, and little bits and pieces of the mental game and, and how this is going to make you better and, and all the rest, I, I think, um, I think it lets them know they care. And obviously it, it enhances their play, which is the overall goal. Yeah. Let's talk about mental toughness a little bit. Do you think that's something that can be coached? And if so, how are you going to work on that with your players? Great question. And I think, yeah, I do. I think it can be coached. I think it can be improved. 
Um, I think the way you improve it is, is sheer showing up and staying the course, you know, and, and, um, I think the, the most common reason guys quit baseball around seventh or eighth grade or sixth grade is because of the ability to handle failure, you know, and if you can handle failure, I think instantly, boom, now you're a mentally tough guy, which is kind of cool because man, that's, it's really, really hard, but it's, it's not that hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If you can let go from the failure and, and again, it's like, like I've said a bunch of times is it's easier said than done, but if you can let go of that failure and move on and, and learn to play one pitch at a time and just really make each pitch its own performance and, and individualize it, you know, I think you can get better at it, man. But, but that's the, that's the challenge of the sport um, in its purest form, you know? And so I think, some guys have a harder time of getting better at it as others. And, and I think it's, it's kind of the same technique as, as getting into a good slot position offensively. You know, you got to work at it. You got to stay the course. Monday might be worse than Tuesday, but Wednesday could be better than both of them, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think you try to educate the player and, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of them are going to quit and hopefully they quit before they get to you. <laughs> but that, yeah. that's the, that's the challenging piece. I also think Ian, not to ramble on, I learned this from a scout, which is an awesome saying. We had a player whose instincts were awful. Base running instincts were backwards. He just instinctually, he was not a very good player. As a, as a sophomore, as a junior, he goes out and has a great summer, comes back. And I'm talking to a scout. Hey, man, I don't think this guy's instincts can get better. You know, I think baseball instincts are born with them and you're not. And he says, what about if somebody goes to war? And I'm like, well, okay. This guy was a Marine. He's a scout for the Red Sox, Vaughn. What if he goes to war? How are his instincts the first week of combat? And I'm like, well, probably not very good. And he's like, what about, right. you know, after six months of combat? And I was like, well, he's, if he's still alive, he's probably doing good. And he said, exactly. If he's still alive, he's probably doing good. And then the player I referenced earlier, he was the minor league player of the year in the Nationals organization. And as a junior, he was the WAC player of the year. And, and his instincts got better. It was, it was the damnedest thing. You know, and it just got better by him playing. He played 60 games in the summer. He played all, every game in the fall. He wasn't injured for one of the first times in his career. And, and um, you know, he flourished. So I, I do think that can happen with the mental game as well. Yeah. Almost getting back to one of your original points, is just if you show up with good energy every day, I mean, you've got an opportunity to improve. It's the hardest part, man. It's the same that these kids will hear when they get to college. And, hey, if you go to class, you'll probably get a decent grade. You yeah. know, and it's the same. If you show up and you have the skills and, you, and your mind is in the right place and you're present and you're going to be on the team, you know, we'll see how about playing time and all the rest. But you'll make the team because it's hard to find 35 guys that can do that. Yeah. And if you're on the team, you got a chance to get better. But sure. man, I, we don't want to take all, all your time. Um, I know you got a lot going on switching coasts, going to that far west coast out there. Um, let me just throw one last question at you. Um, kind of more of a fun one and, and just your opinion, but what for you is the best part about playing college baseball? Man, that's, it, it almost, yeah, question fires me up. Man, I, I think, and, and I don't know, I think, again, this is a window into so many other things, but I, I think the winning piece is, is such an enjoyable aspect of it because, you know, high school baseball is so unique because you're playing with your best friends, you're playing with guys that you grew up with. In college, you lose that. Um, but you, you're with a new set of guys and everybody is, is on the same page and everybody is, is on board with, Hey, if we win, good things are going to happen, you know? And, and I hate to make it so black and white winning and losing because it's not about per se winning and losing, but 
just everybody having that same goal, you know, and I think you have that in high school, but man, it's just on a different level in college, um, you know, and the enjoyment of winning and having success and, and seeing the fruits of your labor and, and knowing that you were with these guys at six in the morning and then you go to class and then you got practice and then you're in study hall with them at night and, and you have so many functions that you have to go to, you know, you're all in this thing together and it's all encompassing. And, and, you know, when you win those games at the college level, it's a really, really fun atmosphere. You know, and, and, and it's not the end all be all, like I said, but just achieving that, having that success and achieving a win, um, to me is one of the coolest parts. And I, and I, I have the same thoughts as a coach. You know, I think you play to win and you play to develop players and, and turn these kids into men and, and all the rest, which is crucial. But while you're there and, and while you get 56 of them a year, man, every win counts and every win is fun. You know, winning is, is more fun than losing. And, um, I think at the college level, it's magnified and it's almost, it's almost okay to, to, to really wrap it up in wins and losses. You know what I mean? And I think it's all in, in high school, it's okay, but you know, it's, it's much more of a winning and losing environment at the college level. And I think that's cool. I am, I embrace that personally. Um, I, I think a lot of people say I, I don't like to lose or I, I like to, I like to win more than I hate losing or something like that. And I, I, you know, whatever. I just love to win more than anything else. You know what I mean? And if we lose, you don't win and that's okay. You're going to win the next one. But I just, I know it, for me coming from high school into junior college and then into the division one, I, I know at the division one level, it was so exciting when you won, you know? So that, that's a long winded answer, e, but I think, you know, the, the winning piece is, is so cool in my opinion. Love finishing on that winning note, Brownie. And I think it's a good message for recruits to understand kind of the mindset of the college coach. Hey, we're developing players, but also it is about winning and we expect you to come in and be a serious ball player. But man, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. You bet, man. Just gave it a ton of information that's going to help that next generation of college players that maybe even might be playing for you out at Hawaii. So thanks for taking the time to come on, man. and And look forward to catching up with you after you've had some time to put your stamp on that offense out there. Yeah, anytime. It's great to great to talk to you, man, and thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the college baseball recruiting process or what it takes to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. You can also track us down on our social media accounts, that's Twitter at Keep Playing BB, Facebook Keep Playing Baseball, and Instagram uh, handle at Keep Playing Baseball. That's it for this episode. We look forward to catching you next time. Until then, take care.